in 2 Samuel chapter 22 today, doing something a little bit different. And so we'll be kind of doing one of the Psalms. It's not a Psalm in the book of Psalms, but it's a Psalm that David wrote that is recorded in 2 Samuel. So that's a little interesting. We've been going through an historical narrative. It will stop and just uh, give an opportunity to run through a Psalm and uh, remind ourselves of Psalms and uh, see what David has to say in this particular song of deliverance, as it says here in the beginning of chapter 22. So we'll read through it as we go, uh, because it is kind of long, and hope we get through all this today. Um, last week, we uh, saw the account of David and the Gibeonites. Saul had killed uh, many of them when they weren't supposed to because of a covenant and we just saw a beautiful illustration of the substitutionary death of Jesus on the behalf of the guilty as they were hung on a tree and took the curse that God had placed on Israel because of this uh, off on them and the rest of the people were able to go free and uh, exactly what Christ did uh, under the laws he hung on a tree and took the curse of sin upon himself as our substitute. So that's what we dealt with quite a bit last time. We were reminded too that the brutality and gore uh, in the account, uh, I think it just reminds us of the hideousness of, of sin, uh, that the Lord will not let it go unpunished, that it's, it's a real, it's a problem, it's uh, not something that can be just passed off lightly. Uh, we were just, it, the, the account caused us to, to realize that this was a serious matter. And those today that will not talk about the wrath of God, that will not really talk about sin, certainly not repentance, that redefine sin, do so at their own peril. Because the Bible, uh, I think, you know, as you read the Bible, it, it, there's a clear message that we are sinners and that there's only, the only hope we have is in Christ and there, there is a hell, there is punishment for sin. And uh, so we saw that as, as the Lord uh, did not forget the sin of Saul and did not forget the covenant back in Joshua's day and held them accountable. So as we come to chapter 22, we're almost done with the book. A couple of more things that um, we'll see with David. Um, but the, as we saw, the last uh, two or three, three or four chapters are out of sequence. Or there are things that took place before that the writer has added at the end. And so this song is obviously a, a case in point because as we read the first verse, that David spoke this, wrote this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And uh, so perhaps it was a song that he, he uh, thought about it more than once, but he obviously wrote it the very day perhaps that Saul died. We know that, of course, David wrote a lament that we dealt with in chapter 1. But also, he, he's written a, a, a song of deliverance, a, a song uh, that he perhaps, it could have been at a previous time, but or maybe it was the day that Saul died, we're not sure. But the interesting thing to me is that David wrote it immediately. That, that As we talked about with the lament, uh, and, we, and we talked about many times, is that uh, David understood that no matter what's going on, it was his duty to praise the Lord, to to testify about the Lord to others, to to utilize the things that are going on in his life as a way to praise God, to glorify his name, right? And so 
you know, if you don't get anything else today, that I think that's something we have to remember, is that um, I am here to praise the Lord, and it doesn't matter whether I am comfortable doing it always or not. That's my duty, and it should be our joy to do that. And so, again, that's why we have our testimony meetings and things like that. The opportunity to stand up and just say, you know what, I, I'm just thankful that God has saved me in Jesus Christ. I'm an undeserving sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. If that's all we say. But to do that, and to do that outside the church, to do that whenever we have opportunity. And David is one of the few kings that always knew who God was, that he was the one who was to be served. Yes, he sins, but his sins never become his God. Uh, as they will, as will happen often with subsequent kings, uh, they will fall into idolatry. That you can tell they never really had a heart for the Lord. David, even in his worst days, always knew who God was. Always knew his position before the Lord. And, uh, sins never become who he is or what he lives for. And so here is a psalm from David where he acknowledges that all that has happened has come from God. And that again is, is one of the Standard things that a Christian, uh, if you're a believer, that's who you are. Everything comes from God. Everything is part of God's providence. And I look at my life in that light. And he knows that what he has done, he owes to the Lord. Nothing is done in and of himself. And uh, so, you know, he knew his job was to write this psalm. And I believe it's our job, too, to... I mean, not that we have to write songs, but certainly there should be opportunity for us to to to, to speak this, to to tell others, to do something, right? In, a, in other words, you talk so much about serving the Lord. You know, Christian, we're to serve the Lord. How do I serve the Lord? Well, that this is a prime way. We speak about God. We we encourage others. We talk about the Lord because that's what's so important. And uh, so. Um, I think this is one of the key reasons that the Psalms are given to us. It puts life into proper perspective. It just reminds us what's going on. It reminds us what part God plays in our life, why we're here, and so forth. All the events of life are to be an opportunity to praise the Lord for helping us through them. And that's the very reason why the events take place. The providence of God takes place. So it acknowledges that God is our only help and that our primary duty is to ask him for help, to acknowledge uh, him before this world, that he is the one from whom comes our strength, comes our help. And that's exactly what we read in a song of deliverance. So let's just kind of map out the the sections of this psalm. In, In the first seven verses, he acknowledges the glory of the Lord that he owes to him all, all things to him, that he's the only one who can help. He just basically starts off by saying, look, God is God, you know, and this is who God is, and, I, and, and, and this is what I owe to him, and, and I trust in him alone, and so forth. Then in verse 8 through 20, the Lord helps him in his own power. In other words, we see, okay, in fact, you see this in verse 7, in my distress I call upon the Lord, Verse 8, then the earth reeled and rocked and the foundations of heaven tripled. So David comes to the Lord as his only help. And then in verse 8, the Lord comes and he starts to work in David's life. And, and of course, David is recounting that this is what took place, uh, you know, previously. And then in verses 21 through 28, um, we, we David talks about, you know, himself and, and how he has served the Lord. The kind of person that the Lord comes to. So. 
21 through 28 is an inscription of, of Christians. And it's not saying that, well, the Lord helped me because I earned it, right, or deserved it. But this is the kind of person that the Lord looks to, the contrite in heart. And this is a description of God's people. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Then in verses 29 through 46, we have the Lord coming again to help him. But here, David includes um, the way that, the means that God helps David. So, David knows that, okay, the Lord is my only help, but David understands that when the Lord helped him, he gave him mighty men to uh, come to his aid. The Lord worked through means. And so um, we, we see the Lord equipping David in some way to do it. So we're reminded that um, when we talk about the Lord's sovereignty and that we owe all things to him, at the same time, we understand that there's a responsibility that we have, that, that God equips the saints uh, to, to serve the Lord, to have strength to, to do their duty. So that's the means to the end. And so it's always, and that's, of course, one of the biggest problems so many Christians have is they have this, they cannot rectify the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man. And so they, they just kind of fall apart, it seems like, sometimes with that. So... And then after verse 47, 47 on, he repeats how glorious the Lord is and how he delivered him and he will praise the nation. So again, he, 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 he says, now that all this is, has taken place, now my duty is to, uh, tell this to the nations. And then, uh, it, it, so it's a, it's a typical psalm. It's, it's a, uh, the psalms reveal to us the pattern of the Christian life. This is, this is how things are. There's, just uh, just kind of helps us put everything into perspective. And so here in chapter 22, David is looking back, I would say, over his life and reign, but he is certainly um, looking back to a certain time period, and he's putting it all into perspective. Everything he has done and he's been able to do, he's able to do because of the Lord and for the Lord. And what's, you think about it, how different is this psalm, this song that David has written, this testimony, really, it's really a testimony, right? This is what our testimony should look like. And maybe not, not when we come together to have testimony, you don't have time to, this was written down and of course it was inspired, but it's the basic structure of our testimony. What the Lord has done for me, what the Lord means to me, you know, just praise the Lord. How different than Nebuchadnezzar's speech, remember in Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar walks out on his uh, porch one day and says, this is the great kingdom that I have built, and I've done it for my glory, my power and my glory. And of course, that's when the Lord strikes him down, and he's like an animal for a period of time and so forth. And, and so what it just reminds us, it puts things back in perspective, you know, Babylon, is used as the epitome of the world's religion in opposition to God. And so it's no wonder that that's the words that come out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. David's reign uh, could have been retold by David talking about everything that he's done. And uh, David's, you know, would, you know there would have been, it, would have, it would have been an interesting account. But you don't read David doing that because David knows better. 
He's not, he's not an arrogant person. He knows that what he's able to, he's been able to do is because of the Lord. And, and so there's a classic difference between a lost person and a believer. Right? I, I don't brag about what I've done. You say, well, Pastor, you haven't done a whole lot. Well, there's that too, but we've all done things. We've all come through difficulty and whatever. And we know that the Lord gets the glory. He gets the credit. Right? Now, whatever I've done, small or, or little. And, uh, so, but Nebuchadnezzar wasn't like that because he was full of himself. That, that's the, that's the difference between the lost person and, and the world. And so Nebuchadnezzar is repeating history like an atheist, we might say. Like one who doesn't include God because uh, the, the naturalist, the, the, the supposed atheist doesn't think God has got anything to do with what's going on. And of course that's the, one of the worst sins that one could commit. Because we know that, that everything that's going on is the Lord's will. And uh, so David is so much unlike Nebuchadnezzar. And so in the first 20 verses, these opening words are typical for David. Let's just start reading. Uh, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. And you save me from violence. Say, well, isn't that kind of repetitious? Well, yes, but it gets the point across. God is strong. God is my shield, whatever. God is this and this and this, and I am not. I call upon the Lord, in verse 4, who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompass me, and the torrents of destruction assail me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confronted me. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. To my God, I call. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. So he understands that God is reigning over all. He's in his temple. He's above him. And yet the Lord is near. And the Lord hears me. and The Lord comes to me. Then the earth reeled. Now let's just kind of talk about the first seven verses or so, perhaps, but um, these verses remind us that God is using his mighty power in our lives, whether we see it or not. You know, uh, well, in verse 8, you know, after saying all these things, when he cried out to the Lord, verse 8, the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations of heaven trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens. And the earth down, thick darkness was under his feet. Now, he's, it seems to be drawing from what we saw with Mount Sinai. Remember the, the, the cloud, the smoke came down, the fire, the lightning, the, the people were afraid. And David is saying that we, we have studied pretty much the life of David for the most part. And David said that on the day that I called upon, you know, the Lord to help me, deliver me from Saul specifically, but he, but I think he also talks about his enemies, so I think this is just a, a, a generic, in one sense, it, it can be used for any situation. That the Lord came in this great visible display. And yet we know that really didn't happen. I mean, there's no indication that that happened, right? And so, so what's going on there? Well, I think David is, is saying this is what is going on. Just as the Lord came down on Sinai, the Lord showed his power. So the Lord 
showed his power. The Lord came down and he did what was necessary. He came down in, in fury against uh, those who oppressed David and came down to help. And so there's a, there's a parallel view with Mount Sinai and with that kind of disruption. I don't think David literally saw or heard these things, but it's the same God and the same power. In other words, the God of Sinai, you know, think of whatever great, the greatest display of God's power that we know, you know, in, in Israel's history, and that's what God did for me as well. And uh, so, then, then not only that, but, but David says, okay, when I called upon this God who sits in the heavens, he came down and he delivered me. Just like God came down to Sinai, came down near to Israel, so the Lord came near to me. And um, there's there's some other verses, it's kind of a theme in this psalm, like down in verse 20, he brought me out of into a broad place, he rescued me because he delighted me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my heart. He rewarded me. Um, verse 24, for instance, I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt. And uh, then to verse 25, and the Lord was has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. And so David is saying that, in this, in this th- third section of the psalm, that as I humbled myself, as I in repentance came to the Lord and asked him for help, the Lord came and delivered me. And, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, well, you know, David, in a sense, because he was good enough, the Lord came to his aid. But we'll talk about that in a moment, but we know the Bible really doesn't teach that. But I, I don't think what David's saying here is all that difficult to... Um, to understand, a cold saint, saints who don't humble themselves, saints who don't care that much about things, I don't think is going to enjoy the Lord's help and the Lord's presence. And there's a few verses here that are we're reminded of. Um, well, I didn't. Uh, there's a there's a, a song by. Uh, by Isaac. Uh, Isaac Watts um, that says, you know, join all the glorious names of wisdom, love, and power that ever mortal knew the angels ever bore. All are too poor to speak his word, too poor to set my Savior forth. The reason I I, I kind of got getting ahead of myself, but the reason I had this up here was back when I was talking about how David kind of repeats himself over and over again. And, and Isaac Watts, I think, is speaking to that. There's just no way to fully describe the Lord anyway. So you can't ever say too much about the Lord. It, because there's just no, he's limitless in everything that he is and does, right? And so I, I think that, that's why I put that there, because I thought, well, that's, that verse kind of goes along with that. But Back to the point of David here humbling himself and then the Lord coming to his rescue. Uh, we think about James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's already a same kind of a theme about what David's going on in David's life. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so we're reminded that um, the Lord doesn't just come to the aid of those who presume upon him, who those who don't care, who those who don't make sure that they are uh, forsaking their sin and working on their sin. The Lord gives grace to the humble, to those who cleanse their hands, to those who draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It doesn't, this isn't speaking about conversion that, well, when somebody just decides one day to come to the Lord, that the Lord will now respond. It's talking about, this is, this is talking about Christians. The church, the church, the church here James is referring to that, that had some issues. Uh, that, that were divisive, that were, that were doing all these things. Uh, you need to get your lives cleaned up, and, uh, then the Lord's gonna come back to church with you, because perhaps the Lord had quit coming to church with them, and the church had become, you know, First Corinthians is a great example of that, right? The church is so messed up that it's, that the Lord had quit attending, quit blessing. There were people who were dying and sick and, and, and so forth, right? We remember all that. So I think this is something that we have to remember that we have a responsibility, and if we just go through life and we think that, well, you know, I try to do good, and, and, and we don't really take the Lord seriously, th- th- don't expect the Lord's presence in your life. Don't they expect Him to answer your prayers, to, you know? And so I, I think this is something that a Christian can uh, take to heart as well. So I wanted to remind ourselves that we aren't saved just to sit idly by by grace, but said to pursue Christ. So that we can enjoy him. Uh, Titus here 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation to all people. But that's not where it stops. That That is about as far as a lot of so called Christians go. That the Lord wants everyone to be saved. And if you will just believe in Christ. You'll be saved and all is well. Except that this same grace. That has appeared to us. God in his sovereignty has come down to us. Right? No doubt. It also, once he does his work, brings salvation. That same grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We are to reflect the image of God. And that's what we are saved to do. So, that's, that's what, you know, John MacArthur, so many have written books about easy grace. Uh, this idea that, uh, just believe and that's all. You go to heaven and if you never really clean your life up, well, that's okay. You know, God loves you anyway. Well, you just don't really find that in scripture. And, uh, you know, God saves us for a purpose. So when you got this section here, uh, beginning in, uh, Verse 17 or so, where after the Lord comes down in, uh, in power, verse 17 says, And he, he set him from on high and took me and drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hate me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord is my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. So again, He delights in us. Uh, there's a, we talked about that passage in John 14 where 
when we obey, uh, now I don't want to, I don't want to misquote that. Or, so let me just turn to it. It's in John 14. This, and this is a verse that I think is extre- extremely important. Um, okay, verse, uh, verse, let's start verse 20. In that day, John 14, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's really what I've been saying here today. Obviously, it's not that if it's not that if we love God first, God will love us, right? We know. You know, First John talks about the same Arthur in, in, in the epistles. He says, "No, God, lo- we love because God first loved us." But he's but there's there's a there's an intimacy and there's an enjoyment of the love of God that does not come to those who do not love the, and do not display that love to God. And so, a Christian can can fall into that sin. A Christian can grow cold. A Christian can grow careless, and they, I think God will withhold fellowship and love and, and and blessing from him until he gets right. I think that's what the Lord is speaking of there. And so, verse 20 of our text, he, he brought me to this broad place, a place of blessing, and he, and, he's, and he delights in me. And then David goes into the description of all saints. Even David, who did some unspeakably bad things, was a man who loved the Lord and, and could say as he, as he thinks back over his life that yes, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a miserable sinner in so many ways, but, but the Lord knows my heart. I, I love him and I've, and I've sought to serve him by and large. So verse 21, the, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. Yes, the Lord dealt with him according to his sin at times, right? But that's not what's going on here. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. His son Solomon will at some point in his life wickedly depart from the Lord. Into idolatry, many of the kings that will follow him will not be able to say these things. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. In other words, I think David knows that he has no right to ask God for help if, if David ignores the Lord, you know, you know, seven days a week. He understands that that's not how it works. It doesn't mean that it's not grace, that we're not saved by grace. It just means that the Lord doesn't save us just so that we can keep on doing our thing and that he's going to take care of us like a bunch of little uh, spoiled, rotten brats, right? No. We've been changed. And and so David can say this, even though David was still a sinner. And then he can throw on top of that, of course, that all the Psalms, I think, in some way or another, speak of Christ. And then all of a sudden, these words take on a whole new meaning. In a sense, because if you think about Jesus, David's greater son, Jesus could say all this and mean it in a very literal way. In other words, as God's law was placed before the Lord, he did keep everything 
He never turned aside from that. He was perfectly blameless. You can be blame. David can be blameless before the law because as long as you take your sacrifices and keep things, you know, all your sins forgiven, then you're righteous in the law. But but Jesus could say this in a very literal way. He never sinned, right? So there's we can certainly see Christ in this, but we can also see how someone in David's situation could also say these things. So it's clear that this is a proper praise because it is a result of David's love for the Lord with a thankful heart. And this is something that separates um, false religions and even false Christian religions from uh, the true religion is that you know, a false religion often just cares for the outward obedience. Do do this ritual. Say these prayers, you know. In Islam, you say your five prayers a day, and at the end of the day, that's really good enough in, in so many ways. And, and, and we know that in Christianity, true Christianity, it's never enough. If it's not done from a heart that loves the Lord, a heart of thankfulness, you cannot keep God's law apart from love, right? So God wants it to be done for the right reason, and and God is worth it. There's no reason. Uh, God is is a God who is so glorious that uh, there's no reason not to be thankful. I was reading about back in in the 30s when Stalin was, was, you know, had become, starting to become the the tyrant that he was, the murderous tyrant that he was. There was some meeting they were having, and somebody in speaking mentions us Joseph Stalin's name and everybody because you gotta remember this is what happens in when political correctness goes amok, right? Everybody stands up and starts applauding because he's you know, we've mentioned Stalin's name. But now you've got a problem. Who's gonna stop? Who's gonna be the first to say, No, I've had enough, you know how can you say, okay, we've praised Joseph Stalin enough, it's time to stop, you know, right? And, well, finally, one poor old man was sitting there, and he, he couldn't take it anymore, so he sat down. And, sure enough, someone wrote his note, his name down, and the next day he was arrested. Because that's how it works with tyrants, with, with that, that they're in it for the praise and their own glory, and they will not, they don't, he doesn't care that none of them wanted to clap, that they all wanted to sit down, that they all were only doing it because they were afraid, it didn't matter. Outward obedience is enough, but not with the Lord, not in true religion, true Christianity. It's never enough. So Joseph Stalin could coerce praise, but the Lord inspires praise, right? Yes, he demands it because he's our creator, and and there's no reason not to, but but it's it's inspired because we, we want to do so. So while the, the main tenet of the Bible is always that those who obey the Lord will be blessed for it, that there's certainly not, it, it's not got nothing to do with salvation. It's just how Christians are. We know that in the greater picture, no one can earn any blessing from God unless the Son secures. That's why we can read this, and we can read it in its context, and we don't get thrown because we know that the New Testament is very clear about how anyone is ever truly blessed by God. So this whole psalm gives God all the glory. And then uh, we come down here in, let's start reading verse 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, 
with the purified, you deal purely. And again, we understand these to be in the sense of one under the law, keeping the sacrifices, uh, giving, having your sins forgiven, doing what they're told to do. The Lord is uh, blessing them accordingly. Um, with the crooked, you make yourself torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I run against a troop, and by my Lord I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. So there you see a change, right? A subtle change. Now it's not just the Lord coming down and just this terrible display of, of power and, and judgment and so forth against his enemies, but the Lord is enabling me now to run, to jump walls, to defeat my enemies. And so, again, so you see this part of it too. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And, then, and of course, we should read that. For who is God but Yahweh? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your gentleness made me great. So you see the effects of grace. You have a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, and did not turn back until they were consumed. So we see that David was not a presumer upon the Lord. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. And, and we notice here in this section, that it's I, the Lord, the Lord did this, I did this. It's back and forth. The, the I statements are mixed with the you statements, you might say, right? Um, verse 40, you quit me with battle for the strength for the battle. You made those who rise up against me seek under me. Uh, you made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. And again, that would be a reference to Saul, for instance, who, you know, claimed to believe in Yahweh, and he no doubt called on Yahweh, but it didn't do any good because he there wasn't a heart thing. Um, verse 43, I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations, people whom I... Had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me, and as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and caused trembling out of their fortresses. Again, you kind of see the Lord speaking this is so true of the Lord, but there's a sense in which we can say as the, the church that as we go forth and we speak of the Lord, we, we preach the gospel, we see foreigners, as it were, those outside the church coming in, listening to us um, by the power of God. 47, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. It's a song, that, of course, that we sing. And exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The, and the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out of my enemies, out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And, and again, as you read through the Psalms, you, 
you think, how how can I ever say that I, you know, I really don't know what to say when I'm to praise the Lord. I, I don't have a testimony. I, I, I've joined a, uh, tentatively, I've joined a men's uh, kind of a gospel group. Um, some guys I know, and they needed uh, a bass, so I'm going to get my help. But it's it's music I'm not real familiar with, or, you know. So we'll see whether I actually get to the point where I can be helpful to them. But anyway, uh, one of the things we're doing at the meetings is he said every time we're going to meet, I want someone to uh, give their testimony. And you know, I think you know he just said that he didn't say is that okay. Can I, can I see your hands? Uh, you know, would some of you be embarrassed? No. Because we're all professing Christians. And, and so we all have a testimony. And so he, he wants to hear it. And to encourage everybody. So we're going to take time every time. And my turn will come. And, and if I sit there and say, well, it's my turn. Well, you know, I just, I'm just uncomfortable talking about the Lord. What are they supposed to think? You say, well, you're you're a preacher. You're, you do it all the time. Well, no, that's not got anything to do with it. Because who, what Christian has nothing to say about the Lord? Who, who, who doesn't have a testimony, right? So, you know, I'm just trying to encourage us that there, there are 150 psalms. You, you cannot sit there and say, I don't know what to say. If you don't know what to say, do you know the Lord? Am I being hard? I just don't, I just can't understand it. You know. Because we read what we see here with David. So David praises the Lord for ruling over a few Jews and a few surrounding people. We know, of course, that Christ's kingdom will be truly international. So, again, everything that David is praising the Lord for, we can, we have experienced the, the fullness of it, the, the full kingdom, the, the, the full understanding of grace that David really only partially understood. It was reading that Henry V, who would have, I know, been a practicing Catholic because, you know, it wasn't until Henry VIII that the Protestant Reformation came to England such as it was, right? But at some point they were they had won a battle and he had all the men in the army lay down prostate prostrate and uh sing quote sing actually it said, said Psalm one hundred fifteen. Now again I, you know I think anybody but even someone who's spiritually confused can understand that this battle came from the Lord, you know, believes that the Lord helped, helped them. Uh, 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory. And it kind of goes on about just the Lord is their help. And he understood that the Lord was their help. who gave them the, the battle. And so he has all his men lay down. And it didn't matter. Well, you, you know, well, they all, you know, back in that day, everybody was captive whether they wanted to be or not. Everybody was religious and believed in God. But, but did that. Because he understood, in whatever confused way maybe he understood it, that the Lord gave him the battle. Now, that's just neat. That, and that's how, that should be our attitude. When things happen, 
you know, not that we have to lay down and, and quote a psalm, but it, we should be acknowledging, at least in our heart, and if not to ever, anybody else that we, we have opportunity to, that this is what's going on. This is what the psalms are. This is what's going on in life. This is the power behind what I see. That, that things aren't always what they look like with my eyes. This is the reality of, of my life. That's what a, a testimony is. So I don't know for sure why King Henry V did that in his own heart, but it should be the habit when we overcome sinful tendencies, when we do the right thing, when we're faithful to the Lord. Uh, we're not cocky, we're not like Nebuchadnezzar. And this king even, he knew it wasn't necessarily his techniques or programs that won the battle. He knew the Lord had to be praised. He stopped and he acknowledged what really happened. That's all that David is doing. He's just stating clearly what his life is all about. Alright? So, it's always just neat to, the Psalms always just have so many good things in them, but we just kind of ran through that one. But any questions or comments? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We're thankful so much, Lord, that George was able to get the generator going, that we have a place to meet. We didn't have to just call it off, and so we're just thankful for that. Lord, the opportunity to encourage each other and to be with God's people. We pray, Lord, for each one, each person in our church, Lord, the needs that they have, and we just pray that today they might find strength uh, from the Word of God. So we pray for your blessings this day in Jesus' name.